0: Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Uh, we're joined by Liam Bowen. Liam is the head coach at UMBC, and he's a, he is a returning guest to the podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little more specifically pitching with him. He's a longtime pitching coach and, and a really great pitching mind, so if you're a uh, pitching coach at any level or a pitcher at any level, I think this will be a great one for you to tune into. Uh, let me give you a background on Coach Bowen before we jump into questions with him. So, he is the head coach at UMBC, a Division One program in Baltimore, Maryland, a part of the American East Conference. Uh, he is a Silver Springs, Maryland native. He became the acting head coach at UMBC in May 2019. So 2020 would have been his first season. Unfortunately, right now we're in the quarantine phase, uh, so these uh, of, of the COVID-19 virus. So. Uh, The 2020 season has been cut short, but he he became the acting head coach in 2019 uh, after spending eight years as an assistant at UMBC. Uh, Going back to his playing days, he played at McAllister College in Minnesota, a Division III school. He graduated in 2006 and was actually voted the team MVP in 2004. From 2006 through 2009, he was an assistant at St. Mary's College a Division III school in Maryland. While he was there, the team ERA dropped from 7.25 in 2006 all the way down to 4.60 in 2009. Really good work there. In 2011, he was the pitching coach at Lincoln Memorial, a really good NCAA Division II program in Tennessee. And then from 2012 until the present time, he has been at UMBC. From 2012 to 2019, he was an assistant coach pitching coach, recruiting coordinator, again, before being elevated to the head coach. In 2012, the team ERA was 9.01, to show you how far they've come. In 2015, the team ERA was down to 3.30. That's the best improvement in the country during that time frame, and and really an incredible drop uh, in team ERA. In 2015, they had a pitcher with a 1.48 ERA, which set a school record. They set a school record with 351 team strikeouts, They also uh, won 34 games that year, which was the most at UMBC since 2002. In 2017, another highlight, they won the conference championship advanced to the NCAA regional. Um, uh, Coach, again, was named. He was named the acting head coach with seven games left in the 2019 season. Overall at UMBC, Coach Bowen has coached or recruited four freshman All-Americans. The team has had 33 total all-conference selections, 15 conference all-rookie selections. He's coached two pitchers who have earned first-team all-conference uh, awards. He's coached one conference pitcher of the year, one conference rookie of the year. Uh, Coach Bowen, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us on the podcast Today's to we'll talk some pitching.
1: Oh, sure thing, Jeff. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So it's been a kind of a weird— With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The last uh, couple of weeks, but uh, one of the good things about this time is that I think a lot of people... A lot of baseball coaches and players are taking time to learn and get better and uh and and trying to turn this into an opportunity for themselves and so you know we also at, at figured out baseball want to take this opportunity when normally you know coaches wouldn't really have time to to be on a podcast because obviously you're busy in the season you know we have an opportunity to get some coaches on here for podcasts that we maybe you know wouldn't normally get on here in late march um so we're pretty pleased with that but uh Uh, How are your players taking it so far? I'm sure you're in touch with a lot of them and your assistant coaches. How's everyone sort of handling this? We've had a uh, couple weeks to process that the season's been canceled, but how are your guys uh, dealing with this right now?
1: Um, You know, we're definitely doing exactly what you said and trying to take this as an opportunity. I was really proud of how our guys handled the loss of the season because – it's obvious that it hurts. You know, that's not a secret. Our guys uh, put a lot into the 2020 season, and uh, for our, our particular team, it kind of felt like we were just starting to turn a corner and get. we had so many new players, guys who were um, going through their first year of Division One baseball that it felt like we were just getting settled in and then um, obviously the, the plug got pulled on the season and we weren't able to complete it. So as much as that hurt, I was really proud that our guys were, I think, pretty quickly able to see the bigger picture, which is – you know, we've been asked to give our season to this crisis and other people are just going asked ask for so much more, you know, the, the, the healthcare workers, the, the people who, who are either gr- going through this disease themselves or their loved ones. So, you know, the, the, um, the, the sacrifice of a baseball season, just, it, it doesn't seem quite, uh, as weighty when you start to consider some of those other factors. And, and our guys are, they're old enough, they're mature enough that they see some of those things. So, um, nobody's enjoying it but it's something that we understand and then it's our it's our job to just like i tell them all the time to play the hand we're dealt and not ask for better cards so the hand we're dealt right now is to try and continue growing and whatever means are available to us so today it's it's being with you and getting to talk through some pitching stuff which i really appreciate you know it's as coaches it's been trying to to watch and read and learn more for the players you know our strength staff and everybody's done a great job of keeping their development going, and we've obviously been active in that, staying in touch with them through calls and video conferences, so a lot goes into it, but we're making the best of it.
0: I think that your maturity as a head coach and and your uh, just general outlook, and I'm I'm sure how you handle the team day-to-day, you know, your guys are probably more apt to be able to handle a situation like this than a lot of teams, and and that's, that's one of the one of the things I've really come to respect about you is just your, your overall outlook and perspective, I think is, um, is really great and, and obviously you pass it on to your players. So, um, all right, well, let's get into the, I appreciate the, that. Thank you. I, I, I take that to heart, man. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, and I mean, it. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's just every, every time you, every time you and I talk, I, I get that. And I, and I think like it just, <laughs> I just, I think you have a great perspective. I, I really do. Um, if we get into the, the pitching side of things, Coach Bowen, uh, one of the things you, you mentioned to me just before we started recording the podcast was that there are there are a lot of resources out there to help uh, a young pitcher or to help a, a coach learn uh, on the physical side of things. That physical development is, is not difficult to find, and, and maybe you're not always sure. Uh, maybe there are some that, that differ a little bit, but there are a lot of resources that are out there. Um, So we kind of wanted to dive into something different and and talk more just about pitchability um, and and about developing things just beyond the physical part of what a pitcher has to do, you know, as as far as gaining velocity and and getting stronger, things like that. But I did want to ask you before we get off that topic, uh, for someone that's listening to this and maybe doesn't know, you know, which of those resources out there are, are maybe better than others, do you have any that are, Maybe favorites of yours or or people or websites that you've learned from that you would recommend uh, for someone who's who's interested in learning more someone some, some uh, a resource where they can go and, and just learn more about about pitching about developing the, the physical side of it, you know getting stronger gaining velocity that sort of thing any any resources out there that you'd recommend over others
1: uh, I mean there are so many, and that's why I always tell our young guys that it's such a gift to be a pitcher in the year twenty twenty I remember. You know i'm 36 years old so it wasn't crazy long ago that i was i, I grew up uh, like you mentioned in silver spring maryland right outside dc and i'm reading the washington post trying to figure we'll look at the pictures and trying to figure out like what time left delivery looked like and we've come a, a little way since then uh the, the name that's um you know the, the the one that everybody probably knows is driveline and it's for good reason like they've done a phenomenal job over the years of just turning over
0: um,
1: you know every rock and try and find what makes pictures grow harder, be more durable, um, make their stuff play better, you know, I would I um, I would, I would recommend them. You know, I, I think any kind of study of pitching development would be incomplete without them at this point. And then there are a lot of others as well. Um, you know, I think to go anywhere online, like I've, I've picked up stuff from Lance Wheeler, you know, the baseball think tank. I think his stuff is really good. Um, there's... Uh, the Tread Athletics with Ben Brewster, who's a Baltimore guy uh, originally, who, who has a lot of great stuff online. One of our alums, I'll, I'll pump a little bit, Dan Blewett, has a lot of good content online. I've stolen some things from him over the years. Uh, look, all, all of us coaches are pure thieves, as, as, as I think we all know. Like, we'll, we'll take a good idea from anywhere. And um, the delivery value system guys um, who are out in Michigan now, uh, Justin Orendorf and Will Fox, You know, they've influenced the way we do post-throw with our pitchers like I could name check so many people here Jeff just because so there are so many like bright um, curious hard working people that are trying to make pitchers better that you can get a lot from all of those guys the reason I was saying kind of what I said to you before we got on here is I think there's probably if if, if we're looking at the the landscape here there's probably a little bit more in the velocity development and health uh, side of things uh, out there for, for in the public uh, domain for people to consume, and, and a little bit less on the pitchability side. And I'm just trying to be useful, you know, to the listeners here because I, you know, I don't think anything I would say about the, the velocity development piece. I think, you know, you can find online. We've done, we've done our some of our own things at UMBC, and I believe in, in some of the things that we do um, to help guys with. But it, that info is out there. You know, I want to make sure we're we're trying to fill in some of the gaps that might be out there for, for some listeners and maybe some younger pitchers.
0: Absolutely, and I and I I'm in total agreement with you. But in some of those names you just mentioned, uh, where to, you know, where people can learn about the health, uh, the the velocity development. Though, some of those names were new uh, to me, so and that was good. I I didn't know that Dan Blewett was. It, is he he's a UMBC alum? I, I follow him he's on. UMBC alum, yeah. He okay. Spoke to our team uh,
1: a couple months ago and was absolutely awesome. Uh, he's a a super baseball mind, uh, a real beef thinker, has a lot of. Uh, you know, great personal experience um, on in pro ball that he can relate to the guys. So yeah, I would I would co-sign his stuff 100. percent I think he does a great job.
0: That's great. So after the you know once the physical the physical development stuff aside, uh, let me just start with kind of a basic question. I guess um, that I think maybe is it, it is a debate online, and I think it's important that that we have this discussion with a Division One head coach. You know, guy who's been a Division One pitching coach. Uh, there's always the argument, you know, which is important, which is more important, velocity, location, and, and I think that sometimes there is uh, maybe too much emphasis on developing velocity without developing the rest of the pitcher. Uh, can I just ask, in general, when a guy comes on campus, if you were to have a kid come on campus, would you rather have someone who uh, who has developed, if you had to choose between the two? Would you rather have someone who had the velocity and had the strength uh, and, the, and the pure physical ability or would you rather have someone that has spent more time on uh, developing the finer points and then you have a chance you know as far as uh, you know location and he's got you know a guy that's got a guy coming out of high school that has got three good pitches that he can throw for strikes and he's got a feel for them and, and they all have pretty good shape and movement they all come from a similar slot but he doesn't quite have the explosive uh, velocity to to really excel. If you had to pick between one of those one of those two, which would you prefer to to show up on campus?
1: So, and I'm certainly not trying to cop out because it's a legitimate question. The, the, the true answer is it depends. It depends how close the um, the element of the pitcher's game that is lacking is to being. Uh, good enough to translate to our level and how much we think we can develop it if a guy is let's say a guy is maybe a little bit like velocity but he's really athletic uh, moves really well in the delivery has a frame that looks like it's going to be able to accept some strength and is a great worker super high character guy like that's a guy you'd bet on 10 times out of 10 um, so it, it, there are some other factors that come into play i will say if we're if, like if this were a recruiting meeting and i'm I'm going to be as transparent as, as I as I can be here. If this were a recruiting meeting and we were talking about both of these pitchers, um, you know, in comparison, maybe we just have one spot or one scholarship or what have you to, to weigh against, the guy who can land a second pitch in the strike zone will win that discussion the vast majority of the time. And that's because, for me, the ability to mix speeds in the strike zone is the thing that gives a, a pitcher an opportunity to compete at our level. I've, ha- I've had and seen very, very few pitchers at our level that can only throw one pitch first right that have been effective. I think that's the thing that really separates guys uh, in Division One and, and, and across a lot of different levels, not just Division One. So you know, that's something that when we're talking about pitchers and evaluating them, the high school and junior college guys, that, that's where we go to, to start figuring out if they're going to be able to help us.
0: Even in a, in a conference like yours, and I want to uh, this is one of the things about the live podcast that I, I, I usually try not to edit because I like the live portion of it. As soon as I said American East, I felt that it was wrong, and I looked it up while we were sitting here, and it was the America East Conference, and I just wanted to correct myself on that. Uh, oh, but <laughs> uh, but it, when I said it, I thought, well, I think I, I'm like 50-50. So anyway, I looked it up. and So in, in the America East Conference, Coach, to give people an idea, is, is there a velocity generally speaking, and again, I know it it, it, it it to a point depends, but is there a velocity that if a guy can throw this hard, then the other stuff doesn't necessarily matter? Like, is there a velocity where the hitters just aren't going to be able to really do much with it, where you can almost be a one-trick guy and, and maybe flip a breaking ball in there from time to time, even if it's not great, keep some guys off balance? And I'm asking this just to say, to kind of um, uh, take a little bit of a different approach to the argument that velocity is really, you know, Velocity is so important that you can't overlook it because that's what's going to get people out. There's another side of that debate that says good hitters can time velocity, whatever it is. So I'm kind of asking in a backward sort of way, is there a velocity in like your conference, you know, what you see from weekend to weekend in a normal, you know, middle of the year? Uh, is there a velocity that is good enough where a guy doesn't really have to throw a second pitch?
1: So I would say no in my experience. So I I just went through my ninth year in the America East. I remember my first year in 2012, our team won 10 games. You know, we were a rebuilding program and, um, you know, we obviously struggled uh, against our schedule. I distinctly remember a game where we played where the opposing starter was 94 to 97 for 80 pitches and we scored 10 runs. Um, So that was one thing that kind of, as a young coach made an impression on me. It was, it was the hardest thrower that I had ever seen in the game to that point and it was our best day on offense as, as a program on a team that, that generally struggled. So, uh, now the, the kind of the correlator to that and the thing you have to keep in mind before people think that I've I've kind of lost my marbles and I think, you know, the throwing hard doesn't matter, it absolutely does. What it what it becomes is a little bit of a sliding scale and that is if you throw with a lot of velocity, and particularly if you throw with a lot of velocity and there's some uh, secondary characteristics to your fastball, whether it's carry, sink, just something that that has a little bit of disguise for the hitter, and you can even just start to change speeds in the strike zone, start to get the the hitter to respect two different speeds, now you have a chance to be really good. You know, a, a, a guy... Who's throwing 86 that can um, without a lot of those secondary characteristics maybe he's really going to have to do a lot with his secondary stuff to be effective at our level whereas a guy who's throwing 91 92 93 the, the the pressure on the the secondary offerings and the command within the strike zone is not the same so I, I guess what I'm saying if I could like sum it up quickly would be the harder you throw the like the lower your required skill level is to be effective. You don't have to have as many of those other skills to be effective. And those skills can be hard to acquire, hard to teach. So that's why we all like velocity is to see a guy throwing 92, you think, man, if he could just do a couple things okay, he's going to be pretty good for us. But doing those couple things okay is, is still required. You know, there's not i – I've just not seen a guy who can go out there and, and thump at 90-plus and, and continue to be effective in Division one. I. It's just something that I haven't seen.
0: And I kind of wanted to ask that just because, you know, in case there's a high school coach or, you know, in case there's a, a pretty hard thrower that's listening to this, that, uh, you know, sometimes at lower levels, at the high school level, for example, you can get away uh, without throwing the secondary stuff. In my area, there's a guy that I scouted last year uh, for the Pirates um, and he at last last spring he was like 88 to 91 but he's 6 foot 6 and and throws downhill and and it's a, it's a good fastball he really doesn't have to throw secondary stuff by the summer he had blown up and he was like 93 to 95 in one outing and you know that guy's not going to have to really throw a second pitch but i i kind of want to just i guess remind anybody that's listening to this that you might not have to throw it where you are now but when you get to the next level you know, you, you should really work on it now because when you get to the next level, you're going to need it. I guess that's kind of what I what I wanted to just give that uh, impression or that that picture to anyone that's listening to this, and, and give them a realistic uh, look at what they're going to need to do at the next level to continue to have success.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent I think
0: you're dead on there. So, okay, the pitchability part of uh, part of pitching. How would you define pitchability? Uh, Coach, when, I think that's a term that a lot of people hear, but I don't know that, that people have a great definition for what that is. So how would you define pitchability? How do you define it to your own players?
1: So it's actually not something that we, we necessarily define to the players. But if I was going to – because it's, it's, it's actually not a term that I tend to use because of how vague it can be, um, kind of like you alluded to there. But for me, pitchability is, is all the skills that a pitcher needs to use to get people out that – Uh, don't have to do with uh, velocity. So it's the ability to create movement on the ball, the the ability to command the ball, and most importantly, I think when we're we're talking about pitchability, what we're really talking about is consistency. You know, uh, I think there's a Greg Maddox quote out there that I really like, and I I don't know that I'm going to get it exactly right, but uh, he said at one point, he said, you know, everybody thinks I'm so smart, what I can really do is command my fastball. And I think there's a lot to that. You know the guys who are really consistent with their ability to execute pitches. You know that that's that's really the essence of pitchability is the, uh, the 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 pitch to pitch standard that the best guys can uphold. So that's the way I would define it.
0: So how do you begin to do, to develop that as a young player? Um, how do you begin to develop pitchability if you're talking? You know if you're working with a, a kid of any age, you know whether it's a high school player or a player on your roster. What are some steps to begin to develop that as a skill and, you know, I guess start on the road to being able to get somebody out besides just trying to throw the ball by them?
1: Right. So the the number one thing and the thing that I would have, you know, any listener take from, uh, from what I'm going to say on this podcast is there has to be a rhythmic element to every throw that a young pitcher makes. So what I mean by that is every throw, not just the ones on the mound, but every single throw, you know, and drills and throwing progression, flat rounds, wherever a guy is throwing, there's got to be a cadence to it. You know, essentially like a beat to the way that the body moves because what I always tell our guys is, you know, when we get on the mound, if we're up there thinking about, okay, I want to have my lead elbow here and I want to really sink into my back hip and get my arm out on time, I just don't think a lot of people can, you know, make those thoughts operational and, and really translate them into performance. But what I think people can do is they can repeat a rhythm. They can they can repeat a beat. So, whatever footwork and you know, there's been different stuff I've used for different guys over the years. But when a guy is going through his catch play, whatever footwork he uses, there are times where I'll have the guy like literally count out loud, you know, one, two, three, throw, or whatever that, that cadence needs to be. So that he's repeating it every single time, and if we can repeat the timing, I, I truly believe we're going to be able to repeat the, you know, c- command and repeat the ball flight that we're looking for, and that's really where it starts. So I, I would just urge everybody, you know, by the time you get on the mound, if you if you think oh the only time I'm really working on my command is when I'm on the mound or maybe in a flat ground, I don't think that's the road to, you know, being able to execute at a high level. I think you need to execute your ball flight and to a target in every single throw you make if you're going to be a real command guy. And to me, that starts with rhythm and timing.
0: So if you're discussing catch play with somebody, uh, I think that there are a lot of young uh, players out there who don't take catch play very seriously, and they think that it's kind of coach speak uh, when coaches just kind of harp on how important catch play is. But, but truly uh, for you, when, when dealing with pitchers, especially at at young ages, how important is catch play to begin what you're talking about and to, to help players to develop a rhythm and repeat their timing? Uh, how much of that takes place in catch play?
1: Oh, it's everything. I mean, that's the that's the foundation. I mean, it, it's not um, it's negotiable. I've never had a guy that was bad in, in, in catch play ever and, and this, is going to, this might sound harsh, but those guys, you know, they're, they're, they, they will consistently disappoint the people that they rely on. It, like, to me, it's that important. It, you know, it, at our level, and I understand at younger levels, you may not approach it in these terms, but at our level, you know, the pitchers only play every so often, There's, and everybody in our program relies on them. It's a really important position. Um, you know, we've got the, the position guys, the coaches, the staff, you know, all the people who are invested in our program fans alums parents like they they all need that guy to go out there and do his job and if he's not able to do his job simply because he hasn't built the fundamentals in his day-to-day cash play to, to go out there and serve those people you know that, that that's a problem um, for me you know that's something that, that we take really really seriously and when i when i'm talking about cash play jeff i'm not just talking about um hey you got to throw the ball into your partner's chest for me and this is a really important point i think you have to repeat your ball flight as well. So uh, if I'm a guy who, you know, I'm going to throw two seamers and they're going to run in sync to the arm side, every single throw I make when I have a two-seam grip in my catch play, that ball flight needs to repeat. You know, it's not going to look the exact same as it will on the mound because of the distance and the angle and that sort of thing, but I've got to repeat the way that the ball moves through the air because if I can't repeat the way that the ball moves through the air, I'm really just hoping that it's going to land in the right spot because I, I, I don't really know its path to the target. So that's the the level of um, detail and, and the level of intensity that, you know, we want to approach catch play with. And the consequence in my mind for not really taking the catch play seriously is the, the most serious one out there, which is you don't serve your teammates. And, you know, that's, that's our pitchers' time to to really invest themselves in something that's going to help the whole program and all these other guys, and we make sure that they do it.
0: So let's stick with catch play for a little bit. Um, if a pitcher is a guy that likes to throw a two-seam uh, that will run to his arm side, a right-handed, you know, right-handed pitcher that, that throws a ball that runs into on a right-handed hitter, should I be playing catch with the two-seam grip and trying to make that ball do the same thing, or for the interest of of long tossing, like when I'm when I'm long tossing and I'm stretching it out, should I, you know, throw a four seam grip and, and try to air it out a little more, or should I just continue to try to do the things that I want to do? Like if I if I want the ball to move, should I continue to make the ball move as I'm playing long toss, or is there a point where uh, you get past a certain distance, you should just try to air it out with true back, you know, true backspin, like a four seamer? Uh, just is that something you talk about with players?
1: sir sure. and it's a really good question and for me and different pitching coaches might approach this differently for me the, the the absolute max distance and the carry on the ball is not necessarily the most important thing when you're throwing long toss the most important thing for me when you're throwing long toss is we're conditioning the arm basically to move really fast and we want it to move really fast Inside the delivery fundamentals that we're going to put on the mound. So if I'm a guy who I throw exclusively two seamers, if I, if if I, or actually let's say if I'm coaching that guy, I would not coach him to to use a four seamer just for the purposes of playing long toss, just to get the ball to go further. Now if you throw both, and you, you know you want to work on getting the ball to carry a little bit more, maybe you're a guy who, you know, you got pretty good velocity and the you know the the fastball carries a little bit. You want to get some strikeouts up in the zone, then the, the forcing long toss makes all the sense in the world. But I want to, with all of our guys, I want to make sure we're tailoring the, all the reps that they get because you only get so many reps where you can move the arm at max speed. You know, the, the arm gets fatigued quickly, we all know. So if we're going to get these, these full-speed reps, whether they're long toss or bullpen or whatever, I want the grip at the ball plate that's going to translate to the game for them. I want to maximize those kind of repetitions.
0: Okay, so basically I mean, you, should, you should be who you are when you're playing catch. If you're a guy that needs to sink the ball to get people out, if you're a guy that, that relies on the two-seamer, that's what you should be doing when you're playing catch. I think so.
1: That's, okay. that's my approach because I don't think you can get too many reps figuring out your ball flight. Um, the, 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 I like to use metaphors with a lot of our guys, and the one I use for ball flight is, you know, it's like a paper airplane with a bent nose where if, if you and I are throwing paper airplanes at each other, and we get a chance to throw three or four of them in a row, and the nose is bent, so it's going to curve in the way that it moves through the air. After three or four, I can probably land it on you, right? The paper airplane, like I can kind of send it out wide and then bring it back to you. If you don't know which way the nose is bent, if you don't know how the, the paper airplane is going to fly, it could really end up anywhere. So like you know, that. We, yeah, we try and um, get guys to kind of simplify it and say, hey, look, we got to – we got to figure out how that nose has been, and if we do, we got a chance
0: to, to be pretty consistent with it. I like that. Um, what about playing catch with the secondary stuff? I, I don't know. This is something, in, in you know, maybe high school coaches have progressed a lot since I was in high school. Um, you know, I'm pretty old <laughs> at this point. But when I was in high school, which just I never heard that you should play catch with any of your secondary stuff. I mean, I, I leg- even if I was if I was on, on a day when I was pitching, I wasn't a primary pitcher, but you know, I had. I had a pretty good arm. I had pretty decent stuff. I I took lessons in the off season where, um, you know, I'd split my time between pitching, pitching and, and hitting. And but I never heard that you should play catch with your secondary stuff just to develop feel. Just wasn't. I did it in bullpens, and that was when I did it. Um, can you just talk about a, a little bit about coach? Um, uh, how much you like your guys to play catch with secondary stuff? When they should do that in their progression, their, their throwing progression, should they do it every? Is that something they should do every day? Something they should only do on certain days? Uh, can you just talk about that as far as you know, developing feel and consistency? And you keep talk, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times just repeating the ball flight, things like that. How important is the is playing catcher the secondary stuff? And can you talk a little bit of just about how often, just what, you know, how you have your guys do that? I guess to the, to develop the best that they can.
1: Sure, and it's a timely question because I'm in the middle of changing it for our program. And um, just to kind of telescope out for a second, some of these things that I'm saying, I don't want to act like, gosh, I've got all of this figured out because pitching is really complicated and it's changing kind of as we speak. And we had a really good run at UMBC where, you know, we – we. Um, did some good things on the mound. And to be transparent, the past couple of years, we've, we've stagnated a little bit, I believe. Um, and I've, I've told our team this. We've worked hard, but we just haven't kind of uh, continued to, to, to grow from a result standpoint and break through the way that I would hope. And it, it's not because of velocity or our physical ability or our work ethic. All of those things are, are if anything, at an all-time high. But I can say that for me – I probably, or I'm, I shouldn't say probably because I know this, I, I was slow to recognize that the game was changing kind of right before my eyes, and yes, velocity was continuing to increase, but as that was happening, we were maybe, the guys were starting to come to us with maybe a little bit of a deficit in terms of their ability to repeat their secondary, so that that ability to repeat the secondary went from a big strength to a weakness for us, and our results, you know, that's to me, that's the main driver of why our results haven't been as good as they were a couple years ago or, or as good as I, I hope and think they're going to be in the future. And, and one of the reasons I'm optimistic is we're changing the way that we approach it. So so to get back to your question, we're going to get into uh, the, the 2021 season. You know, Hopefully we're, we're back on the field soon. But um, when we do get back on the field, we're going to be training that. Every day, as part of the guys' daily throwing and instituting just some simple spin drills, where the guys are getting the feel of all of their pitches coming off their hand early in their catch play, because I think sometimes younger pitchers think, well, I I can't really practice my break my breaking ball unless I'm ripping it, you know, a hundred percent to see how the ball flight's going to work. And I don't believe that at all. I think one of the things that we need to coach our young guys on is, hey, look. You know you can throw a breaking ball really lightly but if it's coming off your hand the way that we intend and we got video where we can look at this and all that sort of thing but really it comes down to feel and if if you're getting the feel of the ball coming off your fingers and getting the, the the angle of the spin the way that you want that's a good rep and we need as many of those good reps as we can so we can translate them to the mound and once again serve our teammates by changing speeds in the strike zone so i didn't I didn't mean to kind of go beyond the scope of the
0: question. No, this is good, it's all important stuff.
1: Yeah, it's been something that I've thought of really since our season started. Feeling like, gosh, we have this, such a hard working group of guys and the the physical if you saw us throw bullpens on the side, you know, the physical ability is impressive but I think as the way pitchers have changed have has have trained has changed before they get to us, you know, me as a coach, I was just slow to respond and that's something we're in the middle of fixing.
0: When you have your guys play catch with the secondary stuff, how often you said you wanted to, that's something you want to do every day. Can you just talk about how you want guys to implement that?
1: Sure. So the the way that we would implement it is our guys they do a, a warm up, a, a full body dynamic warm up, then they do like a pitching specific warm up that's a basically a rolling program and a pan program. Then they throw a group of drills uh, with Plyo balls. We actually we filmed all this stuff I, when you were out at UMBC for Figure It Out Baseball. We got some good video of that online, I know. Um, right, We would be doing this right after the Plyo drills. So basically, as they start to the, – um, just as soon as they pick up a baseball, as, 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 soon, as soon as they're starting to, to throw – I want them to mix in some drills where we're just spinning the ball off our hands. It, it, and again, it doesn't have to be very hard. And that's, that's I think, such a misconception, but we want all of our guys to understand how to create the spin that they need, um, the type of spin that they need to execute all their secondary stuff. Um, we want as many reps of that as possible. So we're going to build it in early and often in the throwing progression, but that's when it would happen. At
0: what point... At what distance do you stop that? And I'm just I'm asking just because I'm not a you know as, I, as I've told you I'm not a I'm not a pitching coach I don't consider myself any sort of pitching expert but, but if I'm a high school head coach you know and I'm wanting to put together the best program that I can for my players I I just would like things to be laid out as much as possible so if my guys are going to stretch it out today you know if they're going to play some long toss uh, at what point at what distance or or like maybe um, uh, you know if they're if they know what distance is 100% of their max, at what, at what percentage or distance should they stop on the secondary stuff and just revert to fastballs, You've just to, you just know, obviously to have some, to have the proper distance, be able to play catch with long toss and on, on the way back in, like is there a time when they should start doing it again? Should they stop at a certain distance and play like should they play change up catch, uh, just stop at 90 feet and play change up catch for a while? Do you have any thoughts uh, just specifically maybe the best way to do it or at least some guidelines for that?
1: I'm describing would be like a set of drills as the guys are inside of 60 feet for sure and usually inside of 45. You know, I'm talking really light where the the feet are spread out. You know, we're not getting a lot of action from the lower half. And what we're really trying to isolate with each pitcher is the position of his hand at the top of the arm action. And I get that this is a podcast, you know, not a visual medium. So it could be a, a little tricky for me to describe, but when the hand is at its highest point, the, the, the hand and wrist already need to be in a position where it you know they're ready to spin the ball that's the, the simplest way that I can put it um, so isolating that and then isolating the release and creating the spin angle that we want so it doesn't it, it, it really wouldn't go beyond 45 feet because I think at that point in our throwing progression the arm is not all the way warmed up you don't want guys banging their best slider you know at, at, at full pitching distance at that point but uh, Just getting a little bit of feel for spin early in the progression they can do whatever daily throwing uh, they want or they need to do that day i've had guys play that 90 foot change of catch in the past it's been more of a like a prescription drill something for a a certain day or a certain pitcher than a standard Um, but i I think it's a good drill and then when they get back into 60 feet then i think they can play catch with all their secondary stuff at full speed and then get into whatever type of pitch execution work uh, we're going to have for that day whether it's a flat ground a bullpen a short box you know that's when you know we would be repping out those pitches you know full speed out of a delivery so that would be the, the general framework of incorporating the secondary into daily throwing
0: very good like that a lot um and this might sound funny but as a coach I wanted to be able to throw good secondary stuff in BP when we'd have those particular rounds. And I know that there were times when um, I'd even throw, we'd be in, like, a a front toss cage just for lack of space. We'd be in a front toss cage, and sometimes I would sit and throw, like, overhand from a front toss type of distance, right? But I wanted to be able to throw, like, off-speed BP even from that distance. I wanted to just be able to flip a little breaking ball in just so the hitter could work on basically timing, and, and being able to uh, do what he needs to do to recognize that pitch and stay back for it and still be able to put a good swing on it. And I would, I know that there were times when I I would throw into a net from 20, I don't know, 20, 25 feet away and try to spin a little breaking ball in there. And like it, it was just, it amazed me at the time from that distance that I could develop feel for these pitches and like there was actually some movement to it because you're not throwing that hard, obviously but they were moving a little bit um, and and had the shape that they were supposed to have. And, and like, it was just funny. I just remember thinking at the time, like, wow, I, I can't believe how much I'm able to develop the feel for this pitch from like 25 feet away instead of, like you said, being at a full distance and trying to, you know, trying to throw a 60 foot slider, uh 60 foot six inch slider instead of as opposed to being 20, 25 feet away. So just to kind of say that to, to your point, it's uh, I felt it before you know, as far as just gaining feel for something, throwing from a lot shorter distance than you would normally in a game. So for what that's worth. For me, if we're going to get, you know, drill
1: down and get even a little bit more technical, the the real key to that is making sure that, that, you know, what we would say is when the ball is loaded, when the, the hand is at the top of the arm action, that... You know, whatever turn you're going to have in, in your wrist and forearm—I'm talking about breaking balls here—but whatever turn you're going to have in your wrist and forearm, it's basically already set right there. I'm a huge believer in that. I'm not a believer that—and you can look at video, you know, of, of or still pictures of big leaguers—you will absolutely see this. I'm not a believer that every hand gets to the top or every pitch gets to the top of the arm action, looking like a fastball, and then the hand turns as it moves forward. I just don't think people can be consistent that way you know you got so much going on with the delivery the arm is moving so fast it's the fastest movement in all sports that internal rotation of the arm if you're trying to adjust the positioning of your fingers and your hand as the arm is moving forward I, i just don't think that's a recipe for success whereas with those little drills those short distances you get that thing up and loaded and it's in the right position all you have to do is turn throw you pull on the seam down, and you can create some rotation. That's going to lead the movement. And you know, like we talked about with the paper airplane, you get the same movement every time. You're going to start putting it in the zone.
0: What's the next thing, coach, that you do with guys to develop um, the consistency that you talked about, the ability to execute their pitches? So, that, so we've talked about catch play and how important that is. What's something else that you do with your players? Uh, or a player that needs this specifically? What's something else that you do to help him develop the consistency, the ability to execute his secondary stuff? Well, the
1: secondary stuff, uh, the the ball flight is a big piece. The the positioning of the hand and the arm is is a big piece. If I had to pick one more that, you know, main driver of a guy's ability to, uh, to land his secondary, it would be an understanding of how to move the ball around the zone, and this goes for all pitches. I think a lot of guys, I would say the majority of guys that we get, when they come to us, if, if they're trying to, let's say they're a right-handed pitcher and they're trying to throw a pitch down and on the glove side, so down and away from a righty um, hitter, uh, they're going to you know, use their lower body and land in the same place on the mound that if they were trying to throw the um, the same pitch down and into a right-handed hitter. I, I hope I hope you're following what I'm saying, but basically that lower body is moving to the same spot and then they're trying to essentially pull the ball into different locations around the zone. I don't believe that's the way the best guys do it. Um, I think if you read interviews with the best guys, you know, there's one, again, from Greg Maddox that stands out that where he said that's his number one delivery key to get his lower half moving to the spot that he's going for um, with that pitch rather than just the middle of the plate and making adjustments with his hand. Um, that's a big part of it, too, because And once again, this is, you know, we're we're maybe bumping into the limitations of a podcast. A lot of this, you know, when when we break it down with guys, we got video out, uh, we're doing it in the bullpen ourselves, all that kind of thing. But um, if a guy is trying to throw his breaking ball, let's say, on the plate, um, you know, he's going to stride to the the place where the ball is going to start and then the spin is going to take the ball onto the plate. If he's trying to throw that same pitch off the plate, if he lands in the same spot and then tries to yank it off the plate... Now we're changing the shape of the pitch. We're changing the ball flight. It becomes unpredictable. If it's unpredictable, we're not going to locate it. So I hope I explained that thoroughly. It's a little bit of a tricky concept to just talk through, but essentially the lower half becomes the steering wheel of the delivery. If you're trying to steer balls with the, your release point and the, you know, the, the way the ball um, or, just, or just any kind of action from your upper body, I think that's going to lead to a lot of inconsistency in those guys are going to have a hard
0: time landing their stuff. Do you have any drills or anything you do with guys to be able to show them that? Uh, sure. What, what kind of things? And, again, I know that we're, we have the limitations of a podcast. We don't have any visuals here. But is there anything that you can just talk about uh, where, a, uh, I guess, for a young guy to work on this and, and really be able to sort of test himself as to what he's doing?
1: Sure. So one of the things that I would have guys do in flat rounds is just, and it, this doesn't have to be every single flat round, but just get rid of the plate. Um, You know, it's it's really just you and the target, uh, is is kind of what we're after. And what I would, uh, what I've had guys do in the past is I've had the flat ground catcher move. You know, maybe they'll they'll uh, the guy will start with a fastball right down the middle, and then that flat ground catcher will move three feet to the left, like well further than you would ever move in a game. And I would force that pitcher to make that adjustment with his lower half. He'd probably have to turn his back foot a little bit. He'd have to get his hips moving to this new target. He wouldn't be able to simply make that adjustment uh, by trying to manipulate the, the top half or the arm uh, to try and direct the ball around the zone. So you're basically, with those bigger adjustments, you're, you're forcing the guy to incorporate some kind of change in his lower half. And then as the guy the, the pitcher gets used to making those changes, you start to make those changes smaller and smaller to the point where he's making those finer adjustments in and out on the plate or maybe a little in uh, off the plate or a little uh, away off the plate, things of that type rather than um, trying to just do that by, again, manipulating the top half. I really, really believe that's a, a driver of command and something that can be learned.
0: I like that. I like the concept of making the big adjustment first and then uh, sort of extremes, and then and then making it sort of smaller and finer as you go, as opposed to going the other way. That's just something I, I like to do as well um, as a coach. Okay, so we, we've talked about several things, several physical things as far as development um, that a guy can do. How much do you have your players just screw around with different grips? to, like, see if maybe there's a better grip out there that they haven't tried for, for any particular pitch? Is that something that you work in, or is that something that you only bring in maybe if a guy isn't pleased with a particular pitch, like, hey, Coach, I'm just, my my you know my slider just doesn't feel – I just don't feel like my slider is getting very good depth, very good movement, you know, maybe you only bring it in at that time. Or is that something you, you maybe have guys do on a regular basis to try to see if they can screw around and find something that works better?
1: My experience, Jeff, is that you don't – need to encourage the guys too much to play around with grips. (laughs) You know, it's something that seems kind of natural to pitchers. I know it was something I did all the time. And I liked it. I mean, I want guys to do that. You know, in their catch play, and particularly in some of the drills that we were talking about, that's a great time to say, okay, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, my buddy over here, he throws a a spike curveball grip. Maybe that'll work for me. Maybe that'll be comfortable on my hand. And I, I really haven't found a better way than trial and error. You know, I think everybody's arm action is a little bit different everybody's kind of the way the ball gets off their hands a little bit different the hand themselves you know are are all different with all these different guys and you need some of that time to to mess around and see what's going to work for you and again my experience has been it's never had to be anything that I forced on a guy I think pitchers you know they're out there throwing every day they're they're going to find their their times to, to mess around with some things and I think it's my job as a coach to make sure I'm really approachable and a guy can come to me and say, Hey, Coach, I know we talked about the changeup this way, but I was trying this. What do you think? And when guys are doing that with me, when, when they're coming up and, and they feel confident they'll have those conversations with me, I know we're in a pretty good place. And, um, you know, a lot has come from that over the years. Believe me, like every every good pitch we've ever thrown at UNBC has been because I taught a guy some sort of secret grip. You know, a lot of it is um, – guys playing around and maybe I can give them a few ideas. There's a lot of times where I say, Hey, try to use you know, here's how they both work. If you want to mess around with the great, come back to me in a week, let me know what you like we'll see if we can move forward with one of them and we take it from there. Uh so you know, there's, there's plenty of that, it doesn't have to be crazy structured in my experience.
0: For somebody who is messing around with some different pitches, um this may be a little bit off topic in a way, but but in a way on topic. Uh, we had a podcast with the pitching coach at duke and and he and I were talking about um, using rap soto using um, trackman and things like that, and how basically how sometimes when a when a pitch looks like it's getting better based on you know what's what's trackable such as spin rate and and everything else that you're tracking with those things um the spin axis sometimes the the thing that looks better on paper doesn't always is always more effective with the hitter so if you're a a, a guy a young uh, a coach or a young player that doesn't have access to those tools to be able to measure all the measurables that that are happening at, at a lot of colleges and, and, and in pro ball at this point at this time how do you kind of know when y- you've got a good pitch maybe i mean what's an indicator, I guess, are you to know that this pitch is better than the other pitch? Does that make sense? If you're trying different, different curveball grips or different change-up grips, because uh, you're ultimately trying to find something that's going to get people out, what's a measurable thing that, uh, that a young player or coach can use to just be able to say, like, hey, you've tried three different ones, and this is the one I think we need to go with? Is that a fair question?
1: It's a great question, and you know, I, I, I echo that sentiment about, all the, the new tech that's um, you know, a, a part of pitching development now, which I'm bought into 100%. Like, I think the TrackMan in particular is an amazing tool. I, it, I still think there are things that we don't understand about how pitches fly through the air. There's things about seam interaction and the way hitters perceive pitches and what their expectations are that, are that remain hard to measure. We can measure way more than we ever could, and it's awesome, but that doesn't mean we can necessarily measure everything. And for us, and, and we're not a program that has access to a track man every single bullpen. Our guys throw on it uh, periodically when we can kind of arrange it um, with some, some outside groups. But it's not something that, that we're able to do every day in our program. A lot of it um, comes back to feedback from hitters and catchers. You know, if and, and you have to be really specific with the feedback that you're looking for because. With all of our secondary, we're trying to do one of two things. We're either trying to make the pitch look like our fastball for a long time in the ball flight and then deviate from the fastball, or we're just trying to make it move so much that even if the hitter picks it up, it's going to be really hard for them to hit. So, you know, a pitch in the first category, you know, that looks like a fastball but isn't, that might be like a like a Max Scherzer slider that comes out hard you know, on a flat trajectory and then ferries down in the strike zone. And the second category, I'm thinking more like a Clayton Kershaw curveball that climbs out of the hand, but it's just got so much depth that it's hard to hit regardless. So I think if you approach the the hitters and catchers that you're working with and you understand the goal for the pitch, you understand which of those two things that you're going for, and you say, hey, did that one look like my fastball? You know, or you get some video of it, you track it through the air so we can do it frame by frame. And that kind of thing like hey does that really track with the fastball we can do overlays and there's some things uh, to help with that or say hey how much is that moving it's really one of the two and if you get the answers that you're looking for and guys are swinging either like it's a fastball fastball or like they have no idea where it's going to end up then you're probably on the right track so even though we don't have access to those tools 24-7 the way programs at the, and the elite conferences do, I don't really think we're, we're too far behind in terms of our ability to design pitches because, they, you know, the, the, the data can only take you so far. I think there's still some things that have to be learned through experience, and that's what we really dive into.
0: I mean, to a point, if a pitch is getting swings and misses, no matter what it looks like, it's getting swings and misses, right? I mean, there's something. Is there some validity to that? I, I, just as far as using that as feedback.
1: Hundred percent, it, and it just depends on the, the kind of swings and misses. You know what I mean? Like, if if you're throwing like a maybe like a little cutter slider that's meant to to mirror your fastball ball flight, and guys are swinging where they think a fastball is going to be, and you're throwing that pitch, then you are on the right track. If guys, if you can tell guys are picking it up, and maybe they swing and miss just because they're an off-balance hitter or they're just struggling to, you know, hit any kind of secondary, but you can see them kind of follow it with their barrel, that's a swing and miss of a different caliber. So it, it's you, there can be some degrees and gradations within the swings and misses that can give you some information as well.
0: What about the mental side of things? So we, we've talked more about uh, most of what we've talked about so far is, is just physically, you know, getting what, what you can do to um, to to. I guess to gain more pitchability, to get to a point where you can get people out with multiple pitches, uh, the mental side of things. And I know we don't have an, an incredible amount of time to talk about this and maybe we, we need it. Maybe we need another podcast about this, but can we kind of touch on this? Um, how, how often do you talk about the mental side of things with your pitchers? Uh, in, in what depth are you, uh, are you getting into it? Are you talking about what their approach should be, what they're thinking pitch to pitch. Uh, just just mentally, if we can give an overall picture, how much is this something that you talk about or you work on with your players, Coach?
1: We talk about it a lot. Uh, we, we, we do structured meditations. We talk about, uh, you know, kind of what it's going to take to be consistent and execute on the mound. And I am always uh, given to maybe talking about it in more general terms than specific terms. Like, hey, like, I, I kind of shy away from telling the guys, hey, look, like when when you're on the mound and this happens, this is how you should respond. I, I think, I don't know if it's, you know, if we can be quite that specific with the mental game. Where, where, where we can really help guys, I think, is just giving them the tools overall to deal with any kind of adversity. And that comes down to stuff that I'm not the first person to say, but basically, controlling what you can control and and understanding what your objective is and making sure you're accountable for that objective and nothing else. So the way I define our objective uh, as pitchers is to hit the mitt with the pitch that's called. We're, We're not responsible for anything else when it comes to pitch execution. We're not responsible for a ball strike call. That's the umpire's job. We're not responsible for how the catcher catches it. That's the catcher's job. We're not responsible for how the hitter reacts to it. That's the hitter's job we're responsible for getting the ball to fly through the air the way that it's supposed to and landing it on the mid. And if we can do that and we put all of our attention on that, then whatever adversity comes up over the course of a game, I think we're going to be able to consistently deliver for our teammates. And, and I just think, somebody told me this a long time ago, and I think it was exactly right, is, is basically everybody that, that has command has is kind of of a similar personality and and mindset. Like, there's not a lot of guys who go out there and dot it up on the mound who are really um, tightly wound guys or or guys that are given to to wild swings of emotion. The guys who can command the baseball in our position, they they have a, a, a certain countenance about them, and that's what we try and develop rather than a specific approach to a specific situation because I think we're better served by an overall approach that can deal with any kind of issue that we run into.
0: I <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, control you can control. You said you're not the first person to say that, but it's it is so difficult for anyone, even an adult, to control what you can control and the things that are out of. First of all, to recognize what's out of your control, and second, to uh, I don't know how to say it, to be okay with the fact that you can't control it, and to be able to move on. You know, to, to control your reaction and to move on to, uh, to the next the next pitch and the next thing that you can control and let the things you can't control just sort of slide off and and not affect the next thing that you're going to do. And I know that a popular saying when I uh you know when I coach, which was you know six years ago was my last spring at this point, um, just saying play the you know play one pitch at a time was something that we would say to our players a lot, and, and it was something that when they really internalized it, it it helped. I think it helped a lot of guys because you, as long as you're focused on the next pitch and not the last pitch, then you're probably putting yourself in a pretty good position. Um, your pitchers overall, when they are going to the mound, do you have any sort of a general mental uh, approach that they take as far as are they going out there with a mentality of attacking hitters and getting quick outs you know, in three pitches or less? Are they going out there with a mentality of, uh, trying to work on the corners or, you know, work the bottom half of the strike zone. I, to me, those are still mental mental things and mental cues, mental preparation, you know, before you get out there that I think are worth talking about. Do you have anything like that that you get into with your players, even if it's like, you know, from player to player? Are those things that you talk about or that you address before a pitcher takes them out?
1: The general one for our program, and we're continue to, continuing to grow with this and get better at it, is we want to create a swing with every single pitch. I'm not a believer in wasting pitches. I think the, the, the you know, cost isn't worth the benefit you get from a waste pitch. We want every single pitch that we throw to be something that the hitter is forced to defend. So even if we're ahead 0-2 and we're not necessarily obviously targeting the middle of the strike zone with that pitch, we don't want to throw a pitch that becomes an easy take where the hitter can just kind of take a break, collect himself, you know, get a ball in his favor and, and move on to the next one. We want to put pressure on the hitter every single pitch and, and try and get a swing with every single pitch we throw. And that's that's harder than maybe it sounds because there's a there's a relentlessness to it that you have to really embrace. And I think a lot of guys in the course of competing, you know, maybe when they get O two 2 or when there's two outs, they're, they're eager for a break. You know, mentally as much as anything else and what we try and instill in our guys what i've tried to over the years and the better staffs have been able uh, to do the best job with it obviously is we want to constantly be taking the fight for the hitter and force him to swing at every single pitch we throw when a guy takes a pitch we want our guys to be mad you know and, and say you know I, I, I want this guy i want to get him in swing mode so i can you know dictate the tempo in the terms of the at-bat that would be the biggest one
0: that's something that is so misunderstood at the youth level. Chase pitches, or I'm sorry, waste pitches. And um, <laughs> you know, you go to a little league game, and you're going to inevitably hear a mom in the dugout, you know, say, say, uh, you know, good waste or way to waste one or whatever. It's, and it just doesn't doesn't make any sense if you really break it. If you really think about it, it'd give it any time to think about it. Um, so you guys are you're trying to create swings with every pitches. Do you ever do you get in points, or do you have guys that have certain pitches that you want to be freeze pitches? especially maybe in an 0-2 count. Do you, do you have that, or are you pretty much always in, I'm trying, I'm going to try to get this guy to swing at this pitch and hopefully put it in a spot where he doesn't, he can't hit it or doesn't hit it hard? I think there are
1: pitches that are naturally given to being freeze pitches. Like, if you're going to throw your breaking ball, you know, it, it, let's say you're a right-handed pitcher, you're going to throw it at a right-handed pitcher and then dump it into the plate. Like that, That's the pitch where you're going to get a higher percentage of freezes on. But I don't want our guys necessarily in that mindset. I want guys thinking, hey, look, this is where the pitch needs to end up it to end up there i need to start at a certain place and how the hitter responds is his business you know if he wants to swing at it great you know it's a pitch with really good ball play with a lot of deception that's literally going to start acting you know not a lot of guys are going to fire off great right swings of on that pitch and if he wants to take it that's fine too cause it's going to be a strike so i think if we're if we're not it kind of goes back to what I said before if, if we're thinking about how the hitter is going to respond to any of these things we think about that from a strategic point of view when we're designing these pitches but in the game I, I think a lot of that effort is wasted you know I, I particularly from the pitcher you know maybe the pitch caller um, is going to have some of those ideas but when it comes to our pitcher you know I want that guy locked into I'm just going to blast him in with this pitch and whatever the hitter wants to do, I'm fine with it because I have that much conviction of what
0: I'm throwing. Maybe two more questions for you here, Coach, and then we can wrap it up. Uh, as a high school coach or younger, um, whether a coach is calling a pitch or whether the catcher at those levels are calling pitches, um, would you suggest that a high school pitcher or below, just an, an average high school, maybe not a, a guy that, that's going to go, you know, has a chance to be drafted or has it is gonna go to a division one and and a guy that's gonna, you know, pitch right away. But you're talking about an average high school team, you know, a high school coach is listening to this. Would you recommend that a high school team, generally speaking sets up and has a mentality to throw the ball basically, use the middle of the plate, particularly early in the counts? And I'm asking this because I think back to my own high school days and I wanted to try to, you know, I, I tried to throw every pitch like to corners, basically, and, and walk too many people. And I think that at the high school level, to have success, if you just throw the ball over the plate, you know, guys don't hit their spots that often, uh, often enough where you can set up down the middle, and you're rarely going to throw the ball down the middle. So just if you had to uh, to kind of guide a, a high school coach or a high school pitcher, and uh, you know, assuming that you one of the things you want guys to do at the high school level is to throw a lot of strikes. Uh, What would you recommend as far as a a mentality and approach to what part of the plate that we're working, particularly early in the count, to get ahead?
1: That's a good question. And it can come from even just a little bit of pitch tracking and and, and, uh, tracking the quality of different guys' commands. So the way I would answer it is the pitcher – needs to throw to whatever part of the play is going to allow him to throw 65 percent strikes or better to me that's the the best mark for good command is if you're above 65 percent strikes you're usually you know at least a quality control guy even if you're not directing into different parts of the strike zone and the strike zone is the absolute heart of our game where the game is won and lost so there's nothing more important than that and I think your what you say is right. I've obviously gone to plenty of high school baseball games in my time, and the vast majority of guys are not going to be able to throw 65% strikes on thirds of the plate or to the corners of the plate. They're going to have to use the entire plate, and that's okay. You know, and, and what I what I tell our guys, because we have guys at our level that, you know, they're going to need to use a lot of plate to get into the counts that are going to make them successful. And what I always tell them is, hey, look, if you want to hit a corner, just throw the first couple strikes, and you know, we can go do that. And and, and you know, it's you prove that you can consistently do that at a really high level we can start to target the hitters weakness a little bit more but it's got to be a step by step process where the, the pitcher is consistently proving his command because you've seen it I've seen it if, if you get the cart in front of the horse and a guy is is trying to pitch in a way that his command doesn't allow he gets below the strike percentage that's going to make them effective and then it, it it, it, there, there's there's really no recourse for that. You know, it doesn't matter what your stuff is or what your com- competitive spirit is. You, you're not going to be effective and serve your teammates.
0: When you say use a lot of the plate, use a, you know third of the plate, corners of the plate, you're talking about where the catcher is set up, right? I mean, you, we, if you're saying a guy, a high school player, or even a player on your team that needs to use more of the plate, you're saying they need to sort of uh, have their focus be in the middle and then let the ball Give the ball more room to work side to side and still be a strike. Is that? Am I accurate saying that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Last question: When you take a mound visit, most of your mound visits, when a guy is going to stay in the game, is there um, are there some some general things you're trying to touch? So we've talked about the mental game, we've talked about the physical side of the game. When you go to a mound visit. Uh, and when a guy's going to stay in the game, he just needs a little bit of a – you need to go out for whatever reason to talk to him and not – let's take a scouting report out of it. When you're not going out to talk about a scouting report, you just kind of need to recenter that pitcher. Um, what are you saying to guys when you go out to the mound?
1: Well, there's only really one subject when you're making a mound visit, and that's the future. You know, what? how are we going to get back to the dugout? You know, it's never anything backward looking. We're never out there to talk about the past or a bad call or any of those things. Uh, so – for me, I just try and chart a course back to the dugout you know, where we can get the whole team off the field and you can get back at bat. So it's obviously a little different for different situations, but a lot of times it's, hey, you know, we're going to get back to you know doing a particular thing that makes that particular pitcher successful. Maybe a little reminder of the scoreboard situation. A lot of times the infielders are there with you in these mound visits and you just remind those guys maybe if it's a bunt situation or a double play situation or what have you and I think you just you need to, uh, to give the pitcher at, at that point something actionable that'll get the team off the field uh, and kind of remind him why he's out there. You know, it might be a deal where you say, hey, look, you're, um, you know, I could tell your ball's thinking a lot today. We're going to get a ground ball in this situation by pounding uh, downhill in the strike zone. Get it to one of these guys. We'll turn a double play for you. We'll get back in the dugout. Something like that. You know, something where, you know, you give him a little bit of a map to what we all want. I think any mound visit where you're out there, you know, trying to make any kind of mechanical adjustment or or talk about something that's out of our control, you know, that's, that's just time that's that's kind of gone away and wasted. So that's all I really uh, you know, I think they, they have their purpose, they have their limitations, but I've seen them be successful if, if everybody's directed at some sort of plan
0: that will get us off the field. For a coach who's used to going out and talking about, Physical adjustments during the game. Why do you think that that is it's wasted to to talk about making a physical adjustment, you know, mid inning, mid game, you know, just your 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 best guidance again to a to a pitching coach um, who's listening to this and just in, in wanting to get better, or again uh, maybe a head coach who doesn't have much of a pitching background. Why is that wasted time in, in your opinion, or why is that wasted a, a wasted visit?
1: hitting as well you know I, I know um, you know our assistant who's in charge of our hitters he would never try and make a, a swing adjustment with a guy while he's in the box and it's the same thing on the mound our game is way too complicated the delivery is way too complicated and competing is way too hard you know it's a stressful situation these players are young you know it's, it's not um, something that's always comfortable for every player it's something that they they have to continue to, to, to grow in as competitors you're just not going to get a guy who's going to be able to, to make a lot of actionable adjustments in that moment. There's just – there are literally just way too many factors. You know, to say a guy is, um, you know, spiking his change because of a specific mechanical factor, I just don't think that's A, observable from the dugout, or B, something that's correctable for the pitcher on the mound. I think it's got to be something where – go out there, you encourage the guy, and I'll stick with these change up. you just say, hey, let's let's throw the change up at the catcher's mask, maybe change the sight, change the target, rather than uh, try and change the way the body is moving through space, because there's just, you know, from a biomechanics standpoint, there's just so much going on there that you really don't want to mess with it at that particular time. That's something that takes a lot of focused work and... the the, the changes would have to happen over a
0: a longer course of time than than just one inning. That's great. Really, really great stuff. If you haven't checked out Coach Bowen's videos on the website, you should. uh, On figuredoutbaseball.com, we've got hundreds of free videos on there from great coaches like Coach Bowen. All the videos are from college coaches and pro coaches. Uh, It's a really great resource. Coach Bowen basically lays out – everything that his pitchers do. I mean, what they're doing uh, day-to-day, week-to-week, it's all laid out in video for you to be able to follow and, and be able to see what's going on in, in these Division One programs. And that's, to me, one of the amazing things about Figured Out Baseball website is just the amount of coaches that are willing to share what they do to try to help other people. It's really amazing. And, and Coach Bowen's got some excellent videos, but we covered different stuff in this today, uh, which was which was great. It's just, it's I can't thank you enough for wanting to share this, for being willing to share it. I love picking your brain. Uh, I feel like I every time that you and I talk, I, I come away knowing more than I did before. So, uh, you know, personally, I appreciate it a lot. So, just uh, you know, Coach Bone, I wanted to thank you for your time. Thank you for all the info and just for being a part of this. Well,
1: well, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate all that. And thank you for making it easy for us to get this information out there. I think all of us coaches are invested in our sport at all the levels. You know, we want baseball to be better from Little League on and and you've made it easy for us. So I really appreciate that.
0: I appreciate you having me on today. Yes, sir. Hopefully we get back on the field sometime sooner than later and uh, everybody gets to watch some baseball and play some baseball and and we kind of go back to some normalcy. But in the meantime, um, what a great resource, what a a great time to be able to get better uh, and to learn in in your sport and and to share information like Coach Bowen did today. So, again, thank you so much and appreciate everything, and uh, best of luck to UMBC going forward. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Same to you.